Hello, listeners, and welcome to the 40th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take everything but ourselves seriously. And after last week, that's a really good thing. Uh, I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I'm back home in my term used loosely studio, finally sober from last week's Boston microbrew adventure. Uh, where I definitely paid the price for that the next day with my seven hours worth of flights and layovers to get home. And while traffic and roads in Boston may drive the residents there to drink, uh, I I certainly didn't need any excuses. Um, I have to say, I think Boston drivers must be some of the best in the country because to put up with the their insane traffic patterns and the the streets that don't go anywhere or just become other streets or turn suddenly uh, they they really have to be the best drivers uh, honestly i i've never been anywhere else at, at least in the us where you feel like you have to be so alert at every intersection you cross because there's traffic coming from at least six different directions and nobody's quite sure who really has the right of way uh, regardless, Boston is, is always a good time. It, ha- it has always been when I visit it, and uh, New England is, is beautiful, and I'm always happy to travel up there, but uh, for now, I'm just going to really enjoy driving on the wide, straight, flat Midwestern roads, at least for a few weeks before going anywhere. Um, also, last week's podcast ran crazy long, so whereas that episode was like the like the Buick Roadmaster of, of Always Drive podcast. This one, this is going to be the Lotus Elise. Quick, nimble, efficient. Let's get to it. It's finally here. After months of teasing and years of speculation, Lamborghini has finally unveiled the Urus the company's second-ever SUV and what they claim is the fastest SUV in the world. It'll hit 189 miles an hour, which is 10 miles an hour faster than the Jeep Grand Cherokee Trailhawk. It'll get to 60 miles an hour in just 3.6 seconds thanks to a 641-horsepower 4-liter twin-turbo V8, which powers all four wheels through an 8-speed automatic transmission. And if you can hold off until 2020, you can even get yourself a hybrid Urus, uh, the first in the line of many hybrids to be op- offered by uh, by Lamborghini. Uh, it has uh, rear-wheel steering uh, and at least six different drive modes, including a few for off-roading that, uh, that, that'll raise the suspension to help with that. But at, at prices starting around $200,000, I bet you'll really struggle to find many buyers who are willing to risk getting scraped by a, a tree branch just to say, oh, I've off-roaded my Urus. So why is a new car in the top story section? Well, because this was such a long time in coming and and has been the biggest vehicle unveiled in arguably months, if if your name isn't Elon Musk. Uh, Luxury car makers are doing pretty well right now as the rich get richer and and some other people get some other thing. Uh, Lamborghini figures the Urus, which is named after an extinct breed of cattle, uh, will double the company's sales. And the the cattle thing makes sense if you know that Lamborghini means raging bull. Um, according to Lamborghini CEO Stefan Domenicali, 
the average Lamborghini owner has between four and six cars, including one SUV, and they hope that the Urus will take the place of their Q7 or BMW X5 or Mercedes Geländewagen, uh, while owners still hang on to their Huracan or Aventador. Um, in 2025, we may also have a Lamborghini 2 Plus 2 Grand Tourer that these rich people can add to their garages, likely using the same motor from the Urus, that twin-turbo V8. Uh, the announcement was, uh, for many purists, sort of a punch in the gut, because Lamborghini has always been about excess and pushing the limits of sense with their vehicles. So to launch a family SUV seems just, it's really antithetical. Um, but those same people complained, complained about the Porsche Cayenne and, and then the Porsche Panamera and then the Porsche Macan. And, and yet because those cars exist, we continue to get the 718 Boxster and the 911. So sure, it's a bit disappointing that Lamborghini isn't just being about extreme anymore, but it's good to know that at least Lamborghini is still going to be around, and that's thanks to vehicles like the Urus. Uh, while the game changes in Italy, the entire industry is adjusting to the influence coming from the Far East. Uh, we've become quite accustomed to Japan and even South Korea playing major roles in the global automotive scene, but China is really beginning to expand beyond its own borders through partnerships and through broader distribution. Uh, the rise of China is really worth a deeper dive, and hopefully I'll get around to this one of these days. Uh, but there were several important developments this week that I thought were worth going over. First, though, back to South Korea, where Hyundai is allegedly in discussions with Fiat Chrysler to form a technical partnership that would help, honestly, mostly Fiat Chrysler. Um, after failing to find any company interested in buying it, Fiat Chrysler's uh, CEO Sergio Marchionne is apparently going to have to settle for some sort of arrangement with other brands in the hopes of improving his company's piss-poor products, uh, whereby he might make the company more attractive to potential suitors. Uh, Ford is also looking east, but uh, less to solve its problems with its cars and more to sell them, uh, they've announced a partnership with Alibaba, the Chinese Amazon, basically, to uh, explore cooperation in cloud computing, uh, connected technology, and other areas, including retail, uh, which could involve selling Ford cars on Alibaba's T-Mall platform. Um, platform, platform. Uh, after a bunch of marketing and legal speak, wherein neither company really says anything, uh, this agreement will apparently start by, quote, exploring a pilot study, end quote, which could not be more non-committal if it tried. Uh, given that in the next seven years, Ford's planning on launching 50 cars in China alone, they're going to need somewhere to sell them, and I bet they're going to need more than some vague tech speak to get buyers through the door. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. Uh, and while U.S. companies look to increase their sales in China, Chinese companies are starting to look at selling their vehicles here in the U.S. Uh, GAC Motor announced that uh, after displaying their vehicles in Detroit earlier this year, they're planning on bringing or beginning sales sometime before 2019, uh, which is to say next year. Um, this is the same company, remember, that left Detroit just absolutely flabbergasted 
that their sub-brand wasn't better received. Um, GAC's sub-brand, though, is named Trumpchi. Um, they're still evaluating a name change before crossing the pond, which, um, according to current public opinion polls, uh, that, that's probably the right move. Now for some quick hits. This week, Oliver Schmidt, the former head of Volkswagen's Environmental and Engineering Office in Michigan, was sentenced to seven years in prison and fined $400,000 for his role in the massive Dieselgate cover-up that defrauded American consumers and evaded government emissions rules. Prior to his sentencing, Schmidt released a letter indicating he had been misused by the higher-ups at VW who gave him talking points and scripts to use when talking about diesel technologies with regulators. Unfortunately for Schmidt, the whole I-was-only-following-orders excuse didn't work for Germans after World War II, so it's certainly not going to work now. After its unveiling a couple of weeks ago, the Tesla semi-truck hype train refuses to slow down, and many companies have been hitching their cars right up to it, with 11 companies having placed reservations for vehicles. Each reservation costs $5,000, with companies like Anheuser-Busch, InBev, and J.B. Hunt reserving $40 apiece, in addition to generous orders from Walmart, Meyer, and Loblaw, which is unbelievably not an Arrested Development reference. Tesla has collected quite a lot of cash to help with development costs. The trucks will apparently start between $150,000 uh, and higher and will begin production in 2019, which, according to Tesla's history of fulfilling their promises, means they'll start selling at around $180,000 sometime in 2021. Maybe Tesla is going to use this money to hire some more anti-union employees to assemble the cars they've already promised to people. This week, General Motors pushed out an update to its vehicles that opened what it calls the marketplace on its connected cars. Overnight, about 2 million cars received the ability for owners to order food, parking spots, and other items through apps in the car's infotainment system. While this does seem perfect for the impatient Impala owner who simply can't wait to order his or her Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or he, until he or she gets to the restaurant, the National Safety Council was quick to point out that a quarter of all vehicle crashes involve distracted driving and that fatalities were up in 2017 for the first time in seven years. As put by the NSC president, Deborah Herzman, there's nothing about this that's safe. If, they want, if this is why they want to put Wi-Fi in a car... We're going to see fatality numbers go up even higher than they are now. Ironically, there's nothing Malibu drivers enjoy more than a little death with their venti Americanos. Speaking of safety, the California Department of Motor Vehicles have shot down a plan proposed by General Motors wherein companies operating autonomous vehicles would be able to dodge liability in accidents when proper vehicle maintenance was not observed. This essentially meant that if the owner of an autonomous vehicle got in a wreck, the maker and programmer of the autonomous car, like General Motors, couldn't be held liable for the collision if there were irregularities like an improper oil change schedule or slightly deflated tires, basically things that would probably have nothing to do with why the vehicle crashed in the first place. While the federal government seems willing to let companies do whatever they want on public streets without any means for recourse if something goes wrong, at least we have California, the state where medical marijuana dispensaries are more prevalent than Starbucks, as the voice of reason and restraint. As the old saying goes, if you can't beat them, tear them apart and copy this shit. 
Uh, I mean, it's that's not a saying here in America, but it must be in Germany, because that's precisely what Mercedes did to a Tesla Model X in order to gain some competitive intelligence that might help them with their forthcoming launch of the EQC crossover. Unfortunately, Mercedes didn't purchase the car that they proceeded to tear apart and put back together. They rented it from a private citizen through a rental company called Sixt, which I've used before. Uh, according to the Model X's owner, Mercedes caused nearly $20,000 worth of damage and tested the vehicle on several racetracks, which were both strictly prohibited by the rental agreement that they signed. Rather than just buy the car off the owner, Mercedes was happy to hand back the mangled model and hope nobody noticed. Very smooth move. Uh, meanwhile, in Michigan, the Fiat Chrysler folks keep forgetting to lock their doors at night, which has helped thieves make off with not one or two, but six brand new Jeep Grand Cherokee Trackhawks from the assembly plant in Detroit. The Trackhawk for the uninitiated is Jeep's $90,000 SUV fitted with the 770 horse, or 707 horsepower Hellcat engine. So it's not like they just misplaced some base model compasses. Apparently, one vehicle has been recovered, while the rest remain on the loose. And by on the loose, I mean in a loose pile of parts in a chop shop somewhere in Detroit. Uh, good luck being better at everything, Fiat Chrysler. Uh, in local news, Tesla won the right to continue selling cars in Missouri after the appeals court for the Western District of Missouri ruled that the Missouri Automotive Dealer Association had no standing to sue Tesla to stop them selling their cars after the company had been granted a dealer's license back in 2013. Tesla follows a fairly non-traditional sales model, selling more often direct to consumer than through a dealership, which many dealerships take as undermining, undermining their business model and threatening their livelihood, and rightly so. After all, if Tesla can do it, what's stopping Audi from bypassing its dealers and selling cars directly? In any case, Tesla emerged victorious as it has in many other states, thereby affirming Missouri residents' ability to wait several months or years for cars that will arrive plagued with quality control issues. Ford decided that enforcing legal contracts this week was more important than cultivating brand loyalty by suing John Cena. The pro wrestler was one of just a few people who were selected to purchase the new Ford GT, but Cena decided to sell his less than a month after receiving it because apparently he just needed some cash. Uh, he netted a handsome profit from the sale, uh, which Ford wants all of, since Cena was contractually mandated to keep the car for at least two years, which he did not. Uh, Cena even still has his 2006 Ford GT among 22 other vehicles in his collection, which also raises some question about his need for cash. Uh, nobody looks good in this situation, apart from the Ford GT, which looks great and is just an innocent bystander in all of this. Uh, in California this week, an unlucky man's 1991 Honda Accord was stolen, which is nothing spectacular because Honda Accords are regularly the first or second most stolen cars in the country every single year. Unfortunately for the thief, the owner of the Accord really loved his car and did not appreciate the thief's actions. The owner posted a photo uh, to Facebook asking for help tracking down the car, which a friend actually did, having spotted the vehicle not long before the post went up. Uh, rather than wait for the police to do their jobs, the victim took it upon himself to hunt down, find, chase, fight with, and then capture the criminal for the police, which I'm sure they appreciated. Luckily for the owner, the thief was some dumbass parolee who was unarmed, 
not some hardened criminal in possession of, say, a firearm, in which case such a pursuit could have ended very differently. Uh, while Honda's reliability is often described as bulletproof, Honda owners certainly are not, so please, please leave this work to the cops. Uh, vigilantes in Canada, however, executed a slightly different plan this week. Since there's no crime and everybody lives in harmony, the closest thing Toronto has to a crisis is a three-way intersection without stop signs that drivers consistently blow through, endangering one another while politely waving sorry at one another. Um, area residents banded together this week to provide a temporary fix using chalk to paint lines on the road, guiding the intersection to stop points and raking leaves to form an island that visually created a tighter, more logical intersection. It's actually a pretty neat bit of crowdsourced, low-cost engineering, and absolutely isn't a permanent fix because all of those leaves they raked just blew into my gutters. Um, playing for Real Madrid and Barcelona can no doubt be quite stressful, um, all the practicing and stretching and relaxing to run around for 90 meaningful minutes a week, all while making in seven days what takes most mortals several years to earn. Uh, so nice for them, then, that Audi has stepped up and offered the players of each team their pick of any car from their fleet. Amazingly, most players didn't just immediately spring for the Audi R8 V10, presumably because some of them probably have already purchased the car for themselves with the millions of euros that they make every year. Um, I hope you'll all join me in thanking Audi for looking after these poor, poor guys. And just remember this story when we get to this week's call to action. Now for a new car. Brand new, brand new, brand new. I don't like it unless it's brand new. You might see me in my whip with my See if you can follow along with this one. Saab, a Swedish company that used to make cars, was purchased by GM and continued to make cars in Sweden until 2012 when GM shut them down. Saabs were cars owned by architects and high school history teachers and, and kind of quirky people because they were interesting, quirky cars. Uh, well, when they went under, all their assets were bought by National Electric Vehicle Sweden, which is not a Swedish company, but rather a Swedish holding company owned by a Chinese company. This week, uh, National Electric Vehicle Sweden, or NEVS, announced the rebirth of the Saab 9.3, which is a car made from 2002 to 2012, but now has an all-electric powertrain good for 180 miles of range and an 87-mile-an-hour top speed. Uh, the problem is, well... <laughs> there are many problems with this. Uh, first, it's basically a 15-year-old car to start with um, that they've shoehorned some battery technology into that itself isn't very attractive or impressive against modern competition like the Chevy Bolt or Tesla Model 3. But I still want to like this car. The Saab 9.3 is a beautiful car that, that looks modern despite being designed so long ago it, it could have given birth to a teenager by now. Uh the figures aren't great, but they're certainly enough for most drivers, and, and NEVS is counting on that uh, because they're planning on producing 50,000 of these every year for the first phase of production and then ramping up to 220,000 during phase two, and, and they don't say when those phases are going to happen or how long they're going to last. Uh, many analysts have tipped China to lead the electric vehicle revolution, and 
although that comes with a lot of caveats, such as the fact that China's electric vehicles may not have performance figures nearly as good as their Western counterparts, if that means some of China's electric future will be in the form of SOBs, by all means, more power to them. Uh, that's it for new cars this week. I, I wanted to end with a feel-good story because with the seemingly endless deluge of sexual abuse stories and women's rights violations coming out every day, I just sort of feel like we could all use it. Uh, and this story comes uh, from Philadelphia where a woman named Kate McClure ran out of gas along I-95. Uh, shortly after stopping, she was approached by a homeless man named Johnny Bobbitt a Marine Corps veteran and former paramedic who advised Kate to stay in her car while he walked several blocks to spend his last $20 to get her gas so she could get home. Unable to pay Johnny back at the time, Kate started a GoFundMe page to support Johnny because of his generosity. While well, this story went viral, and instead of the targeted $10,000, Kate has raised almost $400,000 in less than a month, which has been placed into two trusts that will help support Johnny now and give him a shot at retirement someday. Uh, he's since purchased a house and his dream truck, a 1999 Ford Ranger, and don't knock his dreams, you secretly want a weird car too. Um, he's on his way to getting his life back together, all, all because of a simple act of kindness. So... Sure, we have some serious problems, like being unable to support our veterans so they wind up like Johnny in the first place, but his story is a reminder that kindness rewards kindness, and that in Philadelphia and in this country and in this world is a better place when we practice it. So just because we got the Lamborghini Urus this week doesn't mean that Lamborghini doesn't still make some properly soul-stirring cars anymore. So to prove it, here's their glorious V12 Aventador. Here is your moment of zen. <laughs> 